Well, praise hallelujah. It is good to be with you guys and to <clears throat> be in the presence of the Lord, to worship together, to gather around the Word and allow the Word to speak to us. And we are people of the Word. That's why we gather, to receive. Am I too hot? I'm really hot. <laughs> My wife tells me I'm hot. <laughs> so we want to gather around the Word of God. That's why we come here, and it's our joy to be with you for this short time. We're heading back on Wednesday morning. It's been three and a half years that we've been here. We normally try to get here once a year, but of course that crazy COVID nonsense came along and locked us down. But praise God, we are getting unlocked in the name of Jesus. <laughs> praise the Lord. Well, this afternoon, the word that the Lord has given me is a word actually that Coco gave us our first Sunday back, which is surrender. I think she gave us two words, surrender and who was here? Who remembers? Do you remember? Surrender and abandonment, dedication, dedication, good. <laughs> our authority in the kingdom of God and our power that we operate in the Holy Spirit is based upon that surrender. It is there objectively because of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. But the release of the Holy Spirit in power and authority to heal, to minister to people, to be able to share the truth, those things function based upon us, even though we've got the power of the Holy Spirit residing in us. And so that's what we want to learn as a people of God, is how to release power and authority that resides in us. The secret to Jesus' ministry was surrender. He had the Holy Spirit in him. We know the Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism in the form of a dove. And he was released into ministry. We know he healed the sick, cleansed the leopards, raised the dead. He healed all those who came to him. So we know the Holy Spirit's presence was there in its fullness, but the secret to that, the secret to the Lord's ability to release the power of the Holy Spirit came in surrender. That's the starting point. So in the heavens before Jesus of Nazareth was the God the Father, was the Word, was the Holy Spirit, and there had to be in the heart and the mind of the Word of God a surrender to the Father's will for Jesus even to come about. So Jesus' ministry did not actually start there in Nazareth. It started before the beginning of time when the Word of God Himself surrendered to the Father's will, came into agreement with the Father's will, that He would come and be born as a child, as a baby, into humanity, in a stable, in a manger, to fulfill the Father's will. Isn't there something? Way before the beginning of time. So in the mind of the Father, He was able to say that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. That's before Adam and Eve sinned. In the mind of the Father, the Lamb of God was slain. So in the Father's mind, in creating the world and bringing humanity into existence, knowing that these people I'm bringing into existence are going to fall into sin at some point in time. But I'm going to plan before that happens a way of redemption. So in the mind of the Father, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Isn't that neat? So whatever problem, issue, difficulty we face, 
God has already moved ahead of us in solutions. There's redemption. There's restoration when God is involved. So there's never a situation that you go through that God has not already preempted that and brought a solution. Now, he doesn't manufacture the, the good, I mean, the bad and the ugly. He manufactures the good. But the bad and the ugly come along because we live in a bad and ugly world. We live in a fallen world. So you will face things from time to time that God has not planned, but he's planned a way back. He's planned the restoration. He's planned the redemption. So James 1.17 tells us that he's the giver of all good and perfect gifts. He's the father of light. And everything that comes down from the father of light is good and perfect. Then it goes on in verse 17 to say there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Meaning God can't do anything else but be good. He doesn't slide some deceit in there. He doesn't put some cunning in there. He doesn't put manipulation in there. He's the giver of all good and perfect gifts, and there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. So you can fully 100% trust your Heavenly Father. Good and perfect gifts. Now, if you don't trust your Heavenly Father, it's probably because you've been abused, misused by an earthly father or an earthly figure of authority in your life. And so when we come to a relationship with the Father, it's a difficult time fully opening our heart up to our Heavenly Father who fully loves us, a person that we can fully trust. Because we've been violated, misused, abused by an authority figure in our life. So what we have to do is push past those negative emotions or negative mindsets that we have and really give ourselves fully to our Heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally he cannot be anything else but good first john chapter 4 verse 8 says that god is love god is love you know if i asked each one of us to describe god give me one word for god we come up with holy righteous sovereign majestic the Bible gives us one word and it's love. God is love. That's the word agape. It's unconditional love. Doesn't have any conditions to it. That is God. He loves. And so when you have that sort of God who is your number one cheerleader, <laughs> he is the wind that blows in your sails, he wants the very best for you, then we have to position ourselves to capture that love and capture that support. Otherwise, we don't take advantage of it. It's like the wind blowing in the sails of a sailing boat. The best way for that sailboat to take advantage of that wind is to position itself to capture that wind. If the wind is blowing in this direction and the sailboat wants to go in that direction, it's got to keep zigzagging to catch the edge of that wind to move across the lake to get the other side. And it may take five times as normal to, or distance in terms of time to get across that lake because it's not taking advantage of that wind. But if you hoist your sail and allow that wind to blow in your sail, then you capture the full advantage of that wind that was blowing all the time. God's love is like that. God's love is consistent. Because it's unconditional, it doesn't depend upon you. We think it does. And so therefore, when we mess up, we think that God, love, God's love is now backing off from us. And we'll shut ourselves off to God's love. We'll shut ourselves down emotionally to God. We'll sort of hibernate for two or three days. Won't read our Bible, won't pray. We're showing God that we're a miserable wretch. And so we shut ourselves off from the love of God because of something we've done. But God's love does not condition itself on our performance. It's like having shades on windows. That sunlight will be consistent and constant in its strength and power coming through. But we can turn those shades and shut the sun out. 
And now we can be in darkness and we can feel that darkness. We can feel separated from that sunlight. We can feel depressed, despondent. We can get suicidal thoughts. But that love is shining all the time. We've shut the shades. But we reflect back on God our feelings. We reflect back upon God that he's disappointed in us, that we have so ticked him off that he's shaking his head at us, that his plans and purpose for us are now put on the shelf because of what we've done. So we reflect back to God what we're feeling because we've shut the shades. Where that light is consistent, all we have to do is open those shades and there the, the love of God is already there. It doesn't change. It's unconditional. But to really take the benefit of God's support in our lives, that his love is unconditional and that he's the giver of all good and perfect gifts, we have to position ourselves in surrender. If we don't position ourselves in surrender, we limit the benefit of what is consistently there. We turn the shades. Then we reflect back to God and reflect to others what God is like and he's not like that at all. We're like that. And now we're reflecting that back on our Heavenly Father. So the, the only place, the only place we have is a place of full surrender. Yielding ourselves to the God who loves us unconditionally and yielding ourselves to the God of light in whom there's no variableness of, of turning, no shadows, the giver of all good and perfect gifts. And Matthew chapter 7 says that, listen, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who love him? So you don't give your child a piece of bread, a sandwich, and he opens up that sandwich and there's a scorpion in it. And if we wouldn't do that, Matthew says, well, how much more will your heavenly father, who's the father of love, give you good and perfect gifts? But we will limit that by looking at ourselves, looking at our performance, and coming to the conclusion that we are second rate, or that God's got better plans for someone else. He's got a higher purpose for others, and we are sort of just um, sitting on the shelf because God really sees us as we are. And he's not that impressed. He's not that thrilled with us. So because of our mindset, we position ourselves so we can't fully benefit from the love of God. So what the Lord wants us to do as a people is to find ourselves in a place where we are fully surrendered and we stay fully surrendered. That may mean laying on the carpet with your nose in the carpet, spread eagle, and saying, Father, I surrender to you. Everything I have, everything I am, everything I hope to be is all yours. And that's the beginning point. That's not the, the, the peak of your spiritual walk. <laughs> that's not the place of great maturity. That's the beginning point of full surrender. And we want to be a people like that so that we can fully enjoy the benefit of what God has for us. Go with me to 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 7 in chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. This is the beginning of where it all started. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. So in heaven itself, there was the Father, there was the Word, the second person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit. Now it was the Word, the second part of the Godhood, through whom all creation came. He spoke and all things came into being. The Bible tells us that he holds all things together by the word of his power. So this word was in the beginning. And then you know John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was 
with God and the Word was God. This is He who was in the beginning. So in the first chapter of John, we are introduced to this Word, the second part of the Trinity. He was the Word, He was with God, and He was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So this is the being, this is the, the God Himself in the second person of the Trinity, the Word. So the Word of God had to become flesh, had to dwell among us, had to live among us. So this was the decision that the Word made with the Father. This is what I'll do. I'll be willing to lay down my deity, everything that makes me God. I'll lay that down to become a man and live in a relationship with you as a son to fulfill your purpose and will. We're here today because the Word of God, God Himself, co-equal to God, being with God and was God, said, I'm going to lay down my will. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to keep that pose of being surrendered and being dedicated to fulfill your will. And so we see down here in verse 17. Well, let's start in 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, meaning he came forth from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word became flesh. We know him as Jesus. Now Jesus had a beginning. Jesus was the result of the Word becoming flesh. So we often talk about Jesus being forever, eternity in the past, but actually, technically, Jesus of Nazareth had a beginning. Now the Word of God did not have a beginning, but the Word became flesh. And the Bible says, this day I have begotten you. There was a begottening of the Father, there was a coming forth of the Father. And so the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this one, who we know as Jesus, was full, that's 100%, full of grace and full of truth. Those are the two things we have to hold on to. We have to hold on to grace and we've got to hold on to truth. And you can't let either one go. They're like poles or, or ski poles. You have one ski pole, you know what's going to happen? You end up going around in circles. You've got to have two ski poles to give you direction, to give you momentum, to give you power. Many people give up truth and hang on to grace. The unconditional love of God. The, the, the favor of God. The grace, unmerited favor of God. But they let go of truth. And they end up going in circles. When you ski with one ski pole called grace you'll end up in lawlessness under the banner of God's amazing grace and unconditional love now if on the other hand you ski with the other pole called truth you'll end up in legalism and reading the riot to all your brothers and sisters they're not worshipping on the right day they're not paying their tithes. They're drinking some alcohol. You will, you will become a legalist in the kingdom of God. And you'll be a judgmental person. Because you're spinning around in circles with truth. And so grace without truth leads to lawlessness. But truth without grace leads to legalism. So to keep ourselves balanced in the kingdom of God... And going in a straight line, we need grace and we need truth. You will throw out, if you want to hang on to grace, praise God for the grace of God. But you release truth, before long, you'll be a law unto yourself. You will be the truth. 
what you determine to be the truth. Truth will become subjective. It's what you believe. And then we leave this behind. I've told people that have taken one snow ski and off they go. I say, I'll give you six months and you'll stop reading the word. Because in the word is truth. And that truth now violates the, the greasy grace they're slid off into. And then they not only stop reading it, but then they come to the conclusion, well, it's not the word of God, it contains the word of God. And six months after that, it's not even that. Because you're going around in circles. So we've got to maintain that as a body of people, if we ski together, we need two poles. And we want to hang on to grace and we want to hang on to truth. That was the Lord Jesus Christ, full of grace and full of truth. Hallelujah. Let's go down to verse 17. Look at this. For the law was given through Moses. The law was given through Moses. But, praise God for the buts, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law was given. The law was imposed. The law was placed over a body of people, the Jewish people. The Jewish nation received the law of God. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that the law was given because of sin. The law was never given to establish righteousness so that if you obey these certain things, you're now righteous. The law was never given for righteousness. Paul says that the, the, a man will never be made justified by the law. It was never given for that purpose. The law was given because of sin, to identify sin, to let a body of people, a group of people know what sin is and what sin isn't. So they could be protected from the ravishness of sin and not destroyed as a people. So God could cull out for himself a nation of people through whom he could bring the Messiah. God could not bring a Messiah through any other time in history or any other group of people because that Messiah, the firstborn son, would have been, would have been killed and buried at the gates of the city. If God did not bring a law to a group of people and keep them protected from sin, there would not have been a virgin Mary through whom the Messiah could come. So the law was never given to establish righteousness. It was purely, solely given to protect a group of people, a nation. Not the Australians, not the Japanese, not the Pygmies. The law was never given to any other nation but the Jewish nation to protect them so God could bring the Messiah. And when the law had completed its task, it was over. And now we move into grace and truth. Praise God. It took him a long time to get there. Thousands of years Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, In the fullness of time, God brought forth His Son. The fullness of time. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That now we can all participate as sons and daughters of the living God. So the law had a purpose. Given for, because of sin and given to protect the nation. So they could come, God could bring them to the place where the Messiah could be birthed. He had to come as a man. God could not come onto this planet and just reverse things around. Because humanity was given this planet. Adam and Eve was given dominion. We lost that dominion when Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve. We bowed the knee to the devil. We lost that. God could not come and intervene and just take it back. He'd given it to man. That was his word. And so God had to become a man in the full sense of humanity so that he could go to the cross and redeem man back to himself. So now we're living this side of the cross and authority, dominion and power has been given back to us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he left there in Matthew chapter 28 and said, all authority in heaven and in earth is now being given to me. Now go in my name, preach the gospel, disciple the people, baptize them, teach them to observe all the things that I've taught them. And so we're this side of the cross 
operating in authority and power that a man got back for us. But he'd started that by surrendering, surrendering his will to the Father. In, uh, go to Philippians with me. Philippians teaches us that this word, in order to become flesh, laid down all the attributes that make God, God. He humbled himself to the Father's will. Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 5, it tells us that let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Now here is the mind that was in, in, the, in Christ Jesus. Who, being in the very form of God, we saw that as the word, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. This was the word, in the form of God and equal to God. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. But, there's another but, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And because of that, God has now highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and those in the earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." This is the one who, was, who, who considered it not robbery to be equal with God. But gave that up. You know, Jesus of Nazareth never actually did a miracle. Isn't that something? Jesus never performed the miracle. Now, don't stone me now. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 9, he says, Have I been this long with you, and yet you do not know me? He's talking to Philip. He that has seen me has seen the Father. So now, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words which I speak, I speak not of my own, but it's the Father who dwells in me. He does the works. It was the Father who was at work in the Son doing these things. Why did Jesus not perform miracles? He'd given up all the power and authority that makes God God to become human. He humbled himself became a man. Now, no man can perform a miracle except by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We can raise the dead. We can give sight to the blind. We can heal people of all manner of diseases. But as the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is the power that we're releasing in us. You and I of ourselves do not have that power. This is where Jesus positioned himself. But he did it through a full surrender to the Father. That's what he said. Listen, verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. The works themselves are proving that it's the Father in me doing these works. So Jesus had to give up every attribute that makes God God to become a human and live in total dependence upon the Father. To be able to say, it's not me that does these things, it's the Father in me. And that's what Peter and James and others have said. Don't look at us with astonishment as if by our own power we heal this man or cause this lame man to run and walk. It's the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ that lives in us. So when we picture Jesus of Nazareth doing miracles, raising the dead, walking on the water, he was not doing that of his own strength and power. He'd given that up. He had to become fully human. Otherwise, it would not have worked. He had to become like you and me. You can't do that of your own strength. You can in reliance upon the Father and in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. 
So it is of a truth that Jesus never did any miracles. <laughs> he himself said, it's the Father in me who's doing it. So it was the Father that sent the Son. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And here is the attitude of Jesus. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. This is the starting point for all of us. To keep us walking in grace and truth is the attitude that Jesus had. The book of Hebrews is right after all the books that have T in it. So if you can find Timothy and Titus and Titicus and Thess Thessalonians, you'll find Hebrews in there somewhere. So in Hebrews chapter 10, Paul is writing, capturing a psalm, and saying, this is a testimony of Jesus. We'll start in verse 5, Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, when he, that's the Messiah, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. This is speaking to the Father. But a body you have prepared for me. Then he says it again. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Jesus... Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. You know, God had no desire and no pleasure in sacrifice and offerings. He says in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. God was not after the slicing of the throat of goats and bulls and elephants and lambs and everything else to shed a whole host of blood all over the place. He was looking for the hearts of his people. The sacrificial system did not actually do anything for God. The sacrificial system was to prepare the people for the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who was to come. God was always after their hearts. But because they put religion in front of that relationship, God says, I have no pleasure in your sacrifices. They don't do anything for me. I'm not after blood. I'm after a heart. And so the power of Jesus' life there in verse 5 says, But a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices you had no pleasure. He says, I have come to do your will, O God. Then he repeats it again in verse 8, as if we may have missed it. He says, previously saying, actually just in the verse before, but let me say it again in case you missed it, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. And who gave that? God himself gave that. But that's not what he was after. He was after the heart of his people. So he said then in verse 9, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that's the first covenant, that he may establish the second. So the secret of the power and authority of Jesus' life was in full surrender. I've come to do your will. A body you have prepared for me. And that is the position of each one of us. Every one of us can say before God, a body you have prepared for yourself. I've come to do your will, O Lord. Every one of us have been given a body that makes us human. That's why we're on this planet. But this body has to be surrendered to the Lord to begin that process of being able to walk with God in every situation of life, to release power, to release authority, to release victory into our finances, into our relationships, into our health, into our mental state. We have to release God's authority, God's power, His victory into every area of our life. If there is something that has come against you, you have to be able to come against that obstacle with authority and power and victory. And it starts with surrender. Then that victory can, can flow. If we are not surrendered, we are the ones that block that victory and that authority that we have residing in us. 
And so this was the secret of Jesus' life. And so when he then went to the cross and purchased the price for our redemption, we were all in bondage of sin. We were under the rule and the authority of the prince and power of the air. The God of this age, the Bible says, we were under his domain. We were slaves. And so as slaves, we were purchased back so we could become slaves of God and walk in victory and authority. So Jesus paid that price. It was his own blood. When he went to the cross and shed his blood and gave up his life, that was the purchasing power to redeem us, to get us out of the slave block of sin and slaves to, the, to Satan. He paid that price to get us back. So we are now his. Lock, stock and barrel. Body, soul and spirit. Now, the the sooner that we realize that, that we belong to him, the sooner that authority can flow through our lives because we're surrendered. We recognize, as Jesus said, a body you have prepared for me. I've come to do your will. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says to the Corinthians, that because of what Christ has done for us and the purchase that he has made, we no longer belong to ourselves. Look at verse 17 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. For he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. We have been purchased back and we have been united together with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are one spirit with the Lord. Hallelujah. One spirit with the Lord. Verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you have been bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. Praise the Lord. You are not your own. I'm glad to say. <laughs> You are not your own. You're not supposed to be charting your own course. You've been bought with a price. You're going to be a slave to somebody. You've got one or two options. You're either the slave of the devil in bondage to sin and corruption and addictions and everything else. Or you're a slave to God, a slave of freedom, a slave of liberty, who has been given power and authority to live above the darkness of this world. So we will always be slaves, a slave of the devil or the slave of the Lord. You're only deceiving yourself if you think you're not. If you think you're charting your own course and you make your own, you're a self-made man or woman, <laughs> you're only deceiving yourself. It's like the king that thought he had all those beautiful garments on and everybody saw that he was naked. No one was willing to say it. But in his own mind of deception, he thought he was something that he wasn't. But he was stark naked. And so when we come to the realization, as it says in verse 19, that our bodies is now the temples of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the living God now lives in these temples. He, doesn't, he no longer lives in temples made of stones, made of man's hands. And we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, our objective, our direction is to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Because he's purchased both of them. Not just our spirit. Your body belongs to him. So you need to be careful what you put into it. It's his body. That's the place where we start walking in victory and authority. Have you ever laid in the carpet before the Lord with your nose in the carpet, spread eagle? You ever done that? You need to. See, that's the position of the Lord Jesus to the Father. A body you've prepared for me. So we, you can lay your body on the ground and you surrender your body. 
and everything in your body, your mind, your will, your emotions, your likes, your dislikes, are surrendered to Him. And we want to start this year with that positioning before God. I'm yours. Because I'm yours anyway. You bought me with a price. But I want to take advantage of being yours. I don't want to be the resistance to that flow. I don't want to resist the power that is available in me by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to surrender to you. My body, my soul, my spirit. Because they are yours anyway. And by understanding that and yielding to that, I benefit from the flow of the Holy Spirit, His purposes and plans for me. You know, while you were being knit together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139 tells us that He fashioned every day for you when yet there was none of them. When yet there was none of your days, God fashioned those days together for you. Putting inside you while you've been knit together in your mother's womb, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your likes, your dislikes. So when you discovered Australia or Belgium, <laughs> you came out already fashioned for God's purposes. You may not have known him, but while you were being knit together in your mother's womb, he was fashioning. And verse 16 of Psalm 139 says, every day was fashioned for you. Now, it doesn't mean the number of days. And when you reach 6,439, you get hit by a bus. The days were fashioned for you. What you're supposed to do, your purposes. So that the giftings in you, the talents... The things you like, the things you dislike will be fully fulfilled and realized in him. He fashioned that. Then we, of course, we left the reservation and got lost and lost our way. He had to redeem us back. But when he redeems you back, he redeems you back to those days that he fashioned for you. So you know what? It takes off all the weight and the burden off your shoulders to try to determine it yourself. What you're supposed to do with your life. Where you're supposed to live, what you're supposed to do, your career, who you're supposed to marry. That's been lifted off you. The days have been fashioned for you. So how do you benefit from those days? It's in full surrender. <laughs> I remembered in March of 2017, we were in an apartment um, out there in Bigger Waters. And I went for a walk one evening, 10 o'clock. And I remember praying this prayer, Lord, I've surrendered to you many, many times in my life. But again, I'm surrendering again. Because, you know, there's things that come along in your life and you give your attention to this and your priority changes and different assignments, etc. And so you want to always be in that position where you consistently surrender. Just in case there's something there that's come along you've given your attention and priority to and is taking the place of the Lord. So I remember praying this prayer. Father, I know you're doing lots of things around the earth. There's thousands of churches and thousands of ministries out there and you're working in them all to some degree or another. Some ministries, you probably can work 10% in there. Some ministries, 90%, depending upon how much they allow you to work in their midst and churches. So, Lord, what are you doing in the earth? What is on your heart? What are you doing? What's your will? What, what's your attention on in the earth? Of all the ministries and the fellowships and the churches and all that they're doing, with evangelism and discipleship and promotions and kids programs and this, that and the other thing and all the seminars and crusades and blah, 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 blah. What are you doing, Lord? Where's your attention? What's dear to your heart? What are you wanting to do in the earth? Because that's where I want to be. I want to be where you, what is important to you? That's where I want to be. 
And as I was praying that, I realized what I was praying. See, that's a prayer of surrender. That's not my will, but your will be done. So as I was praying that, I realized what I was praying because I had not intended to pray that. But so I stopped halfway through that prayer because it's like, oh, okay. Um, I'm thinking of Mother Teresa on the, on the trash piles of India with little kids. What if what, that's close to God's heart? That's, what if that's what God's all about? And I'm saying I want to help you do that. Um. <laughs> so I stopped praying because I realized, oh, this is a full surrender prayer. This is a prayer, God, what are you doing in the earth? I want to be part of that. For so many years I've prayed, Lord, what's your will for me? What's your purposes for me? What's the gift and the talents that you put in me? Help me fulfill my purpose. And we've prayed that thousands of times, and it seems like a noble prayer. But my prayer was beyond that. Lord, what are you doing? What's your purposes? What's your intent? What's your will? How can I help you accomplish that? But I'd gone too far in my prayers to back out. Because <laughs> if I back out now, it's like, now I'm walking in disobedience. <laughs> so I'd gone too far into the water to get out. So I stood there for a minute and thinking, well, I can't back out now. I've sort of said it. Am I going to recommit that? So I went all the way through and said, yes, Lord, that is my decision. I want to be... Where you are, are wanting to do the things that are important to you. Where is your heart in this world today? So I prayed that. And you know what happened? Four weeks later, I was fired from an international ministry. Boom! Kicked out. So, I'm telling you, if you want to pray that, <laughs> you may be in a good place, but it may not be God's place. You know, you may be in a comfortable place, it may not be God's place. It may not be those days that He's fashioned for you. It may look good, may look good to everybody else, but it may not be the days that He has fashioned for you. And so we want to position ourselves for those days. And I want to give you the opportunity to come before the Lord this afternoon and say, Father, you know those days that you fashioned for me while yet when I was in my mother's womb, before one of those days was fulfilled, you had fashioned them. My gifts, my talents, my desires. And I want to be fulfilling those days. Listen, you will never be any more fulfilled than fulfilling the days for which you were created. That's your stream. That's your sweet spot. And my daughter said to me one time, do you ever see yourself ministering in India? And I said, no. She said, well, I feel God's put in my heart to minister in India. Well, I said, I can accept that. You know, God bless you, go for it. But I really have no desire to be ministering in India. God's not put that in my heart. Now, maybe Fiji, yeah, <laughs> but not India. And then within 12 months, within 12 months, I'm ministering to 150 pastors, village pastors in India, discipling them. Never had that desire in my heart. But it was in God's heart that we can take ministers, pastors that are in the remote belt the jungle belt of northern india and to disciple them give them the word of god transform their lives by understanding god's grace and love understanding the balance of grace and truth and walking in those things because then they take that word and they give it out to their congregations so there's probably fifty thousand people being discipled and i would never have done that within the ministry I was in, within, when I prayed that prayer, God, I want to be about what you're doing. So sometimes we are off the highway, we're in the back hinterland somewhere on dirt roads and you pray that. It'll take God a while to get you back off those dirt roads and reroute you, get you back on the highway. But if you pray that, God will begin to position you 
to a place where you fulfill the greatest purpose, the sweetest spot in your life that God has for you, where the river flows, because that's what he's fashioned you for. That's the gifts, the abilities, the talents, all those things come together in that flow of what God fashioned those days for you when yet there was none of them. It starts with surrender. We're here today because the word of God surrendered to the Father's will and said, I've come to do your will, O Lord. You prepared a body for me. And in that body, I'm going to do your will. So I'm going to ask that this afternoon we position ourselves for that. If we could have our worship. Josh is going to put some worship on for us. Great. While we're worshiping and just having that worship music going, if you want to do that, if you want to position yourself for all that God has for you, and maybe you're off track and you don't know it, but you're going to give God the permission to redirect. If you're out there stuck in the back 40 somewhere, you're going to give God, we're going to give God the permission to redirect. To take our bodies, which are His, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And we're going to allow God to glorify Himself in our bodies and our spirits, which are His. Then I want to give you a place where you can find up on the stage, out to the sides, down the front, where you can find space where you can lay down on your face before God. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. There won't be any judgment. But if God has been speaking to your heart that you need to position yourself in full surrender to Him so that He can position you for everything that He's created you for. And I want to ask you to find a place where you can lay in that carpet and you can put your nose in that carpet and you can just spread yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, this is my position of surrender to you. Many times we put our hands up in surrender. And that's good. But I want us to find a place where we can do that. And if you don't want to do that, then you can still stand and worship as we're in the presence of the Lord here. So let's stand together. And as I pray, if you want to do that, then, then I'm, I'm asking you, if that's in your heart, to come out on the sides or down the front and just lay yourself before the Lord and just there talk to the Lord about your surrender of your life to Him, to be, to do, to go, anywhere, anything for Him. Because He owns you. So, fathers, we come into your presence right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we find a place where we can just lay before you right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we surrender to you everything that we are. Our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our ambitions the decisions that need to be made, we surrender right now to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We give these bodies to you. We lay these bodies out before you. We recognize that we have been bought with a price, that we are not our own. We are to glorify you in our bodies and our spirit which are yours. So Lord, take these bodies. Take our body. Fulfill your purpose. And Father, we give you now the right to redirect us according to your will and purpose. Father, if we are not fulfilling the days that you fashioned for us, then we give you the permission to blow the wind of the Holy Spirit onto us and redirect us, move us 
into those days that you have fashioned for us so that we can complete your will and purpose for our lives. We thank you, Father. If God is bringing anything to your attention while we are here that you are hanging on to, I want you to release that to the Lord. Listen, he's your heavenly father. He loves you more than you'll ever know. He's your best friend, your greatest ally. He's your number one fan. So if you're hanging on to something that you don't want to give up, you're only deceiving yourself and you're only opening up a door for the devil to come and deceive you more. So this is the opportunity to surrender that. Just release it, whatever the Lord's bringing to your mind. Just release that. Listen, if you've got unforgiveness or resentment towards somebody, just release that. You're only damaging yourself. So Father, we release these things to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you bring to our attention, Father, we're just releasing to you now and, and giving under your lordship. We don't want you to be Lord of 95% of our lives. We're giving you 100%, Father, right now in Jesus' name. And so, Holy Spirit, thank you for ministering to your people right now. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that the freshness of your spirit, that river of living water that you place in every one of us would flow right now. You said out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. And I release those rivers of living water right now out of, through everybody that is surrendered to you. Release those inner river of life refreshing rejuvenating life-giving rivers of the holy spirit and lord would allow that river of the spirit to flush out the debris that's been blocked up in our lives things we've been hanging on to things we wouldn't let go of our own direction the things we wanted to do we just ask that that river would just flush that out of that riverbed those log jams and the dryness. We release that right now. And we receive the refreshing rivers of the Holy Spirit. Life-giving. Right now in Jesus' name. Lord, it's all yours. It's all yours. We give you permission. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's just wait in his presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your peace that flows like a river. Thank you for the freshness of your presence, the freshness of a new surrender. And Lord, we want to stay in that attitude. Lord, remind us regularly just to get alone 
make time to be alone and just lay before you and give it all. And Lord, I'm speaking this prayer over this congregation. Everybody that has surrendered this afternoon, I'm speaking that prayer, Father, that I prayed those years back. Lord, what are you doing in the earth today? What are you doing on the Gold Coast today? What are you doing, Father? What's in your heart? What do you want to accomplish? Lord, we want to help you accomplish what you want to do. Every one of us, Lord. We position ourselves with our hands up before you saying, Father, we'll help you do what you want to do. Just let us know what you want to accomplish. What are your plans? What are your purposes? What's your will for yourself? We'll help you get there. The talents, the abilities, the gifts, desires that are inside of us, Father, we give to you so that we can line ourselves up to help you get done what you want to get done. In the name of Jesus. If that's your prayer, just say amen. Amen, Lord. We don't come with our own agenda before you and ask you to bless that. Use us to help our gifts and talents. But we want to position ourselves to help you. And we say amen, Father.